This is the American Military Brit. Shedding light on the realities of military life. Now, here's your host, U.S. Air Force Staff Sergeant Christopher Clark. Hello and welcome to the American Military Brit podcast. This is a podcast where we talk to different military members to figure out the full story about the military. Not just the rumors, but the actual story from those who were there and took part in military service. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the American Military Brit podcast. So today we've got a a special guest. I'm always interested with um, guests like this because I've only had one other guest where I just didn't even know the person. Like I only like I've only just met um, this person, Tamia, we've got on the podcast today. So uh, she is an army veteran. So um, we'll just kind of get into talking about her story and whatnot. So, Tamia, do you want to just introduce yourself and tell the audience who you are and whatnot? Well, hello, and thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I am, uh, my name is Tamia Dow, and I am a U.S. Army veteran. I am proud uh, patriot, uh, proud of my service and continue to serve to this day. I basically came through, because I'm from Las Vegas, since 1980 Mm -hmm. and I went to high school here then I came through UNLV here while I was at UNLV I studied criminal justice and I do have a degree in criminal justice a bachelor's I went through the ROTC program here which was Army ROTC at the time which was amazing training and a great foundation for my life because a lot of what I do right now has to do with what I learned during my time in service with the military Mm -hmm. and my time here at the ROTC program I also was blessed to be a part of the UNLV Upward Bound program, which is now considered a TRIO program. They have multiple other programs within it. But the Upward Bound program was designed to help and ensure that people who didn't necessarily have the opportunity to come to college would definitely come to college. So from high school, which was, I went to Chaparral, they had us come on weekends and we would have uh, extra classes, extra training to just make sure that we were going to be, you know, good citizens basically and able to make it into UNLV and higher education, et cetera. And tell me, it was an amazing program. I, I'm a proud graduate of it. I, I worked back uh, with them while I was at UNLV. I reached back to, to be a peer counselor and to be a mentor to some of the students that were coming up through it. And it's also what I do now through, you know, the Veterans Alumni Club, which is, um, I'm the vice president of our local Veterans Alumni Club here at UNLV. And we are UNLV graduates who also have a veteran you know, experience. We were in the, the military. Now I just want to talk about um, ROTC because we've actually never had somebody on here who's came from the officer program i don't believe so at least usually i'm just talking to enlisted people and their basic training you know we do basic training we do tech school all that different stuff so yeah i'm just curious like because you went to rotc here in at unlv right so yes, how I is did. how is that that whole thing how does that whole thing work well, it was very interesting, actually. When I when I was in high school, we used to tease the JROTC, so that was like Junior yeah, Reserve yeah. Officer Training Corps. We would tease them because they came to school in their uniforms, and we were like, oh, look at them in their uniforms. And I had this thing about uniforms, which is hilarious, because I went on for, to be you know 25 years in uniform between military and between policing itself. Mm-hmm. You know, But yeah, I was like... To be in a uniform, you know, everybody can know who you are and you stick out and blah, 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 you know. But when I came on campus, so it was part of our regimen, we had to be in uniform two days a week. 
uh, we had they they supplied us with the you know with the dress the dress uniform and also the you know the the battle dress uniform mm-hmm. so that we could wear you know on different days if we needed to most of the time we were in dress uniform though because of course it was a symbol of letting people on campus see the military know that you know the military uh, does exist you know yeah. amongst you you know because uh, if I think the percentage of people who end up joining the military isn't it like one percent. Of, uh, of the population. I would have thought it would be a little more than that. You would think sure, so. But yeah. think about it, though, you know, because we have a voluntary army. You know, we have a voluntary okay. service. Yeah. So uh, so you're it's a low percentage. Mm-hmm. Most people just choose life, their life, you know, having right. having nothing to do with putting a uniform and being in service to the community, you know, or to the country. So in ROTC, we, we came in, we had uh, three times a week, we had Let's say two to three times a week. Yeah, Tuesday and Thursday. So we had military uh, training. So we had actual classes that we had to take. Uh, you had a whole, like for the four years to graduate, you had um, MSC classes, uh, which was the abbreviation, you know. Uh, and it would be leadership. And, you know, I'm trying to think of some of the other classes that we had. Leadership was definitely big, which I tell you what, uh I was sharing with you when we were offline, I look back at the training that I got in ROTC and, you know, in my basic, and I know that it had a lot to do with what I've done today because I've gone on to do a whole lot of things, but I flash back and I see Captain Lambert, you know, Colonel Wintermute yelling at me, you know, yelling at us, you know, saying things to us to, to, to impact us, you know, make us move forward and do better, that kind of thing. And they stuck with me to this day, you know, they, uh, one of the things he said, because you know, I went on for to police service, you know. So with that, you know, you you pull from your experience. Not, I mean, yeah, they train you too. Everybody trains you for their organization, but you also go back to your foundation. And my foundation was ROTC. You know, my foundation was getting up at four thirty in the morning and doing PT. You know, I mean, (laughs) you know, my foundation was yes sir, no sir. You know, yes ma'am, no ma'am. You know, which if you think about it, you know, even when I went into police service, I was always very respectful to my suspects, even when someone would be cussing me out, calling me outside by name, you know, <laughs> calling me everything but a child of God. And I'd still be like, sir, I need you to be still, sir. I need you. you know. Yeah. So, so a lot of that was instilled in me that respect for the other, you know, for the other person, you know, um, calling people, you know, calling people in their name, not out of their name, you know, those kind of things. Uh, and that came from ROTC. You yeah. know, we had to learn respect. We had to learn drill and ceremony. You know, we had to learn everything. You know, we literally learned it, but we learned it in ROTC. You learned it while still getting your your education. You learned it while still, you know, working whatever job you worked. You know, you mm-hmm. learned it while still, you know what I'm saying? So so it wasn't just like some of our friends, you say whether it's a blessing, you know, or, or, or a curse. When someone is active duty, they have really no distractions, you know, because they're all about the military, like from, you know, top of the morning to the end of the evening, you know, yeah. every single day of the week. Whereas Whereas for ROTC people and the reservists, you know, they are all about whatever their life is going on with that in their heart, the passion for their military service and who they are as a military member. Right. Yet they have regular life, you know, and then, you know, what do they call them? Citizen soldiers, you yeah. know, weekend warriors, citizen soldiers, so you know, us. and in a way it, I, I don't know, it's, I don't want to say I'm t- I, I took offense because 
we go through the same training. You know, we really do. They put us through boot camp, you know, like everybody else does. You know, we just might not be doing the Monday through Friday, you know, stuck, uh, <coughs> set on a base type right. of situation. But we're in the real world, you know. And when stuff calls, like National Guard and, and, and reservists are called up, you know, when the pandemic was happening, that's who was out there at your, your yep. centers. Mm-hmm. You know, they were called up. You know, and they're, you know, doing the swab. I don't know if they were doing swabs, but they were, you know, organizing that and doing that. So we can't forget our citizen soldiers. We can't forget our weekend warriors. We can't forget because they're there for us, you mm-hmm. know, and, and our service members, the supplement, the service members, because they can't be everywhere. You know, could you imagine trying to pull people off the base and say, we need you to come out here and, and you know, help help us keep order or whatever? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just doesn't happen. And when I was going through ROTC, when you're going through, you don't have a specialty. You're just learning everything. You know, you're mm-hmm. losing general general military science, you know, leadership, those kind of things. And I was really blessed during my time because I know you're going you know, to ask for places we were sent or deployed or things like that. And uh, we used to have annual trainings where we have to go during the summer and we'd be sent off for six weeks to various different places. I was blessed to be able to go to Schofield Barracks, Hawaii, mm-hmm. uh, for one of my trainings because you got the opportunity to bid for where you wanted to go. And, and it would be based on, like everything is in the military, you know, um, how how your your leadership, you know, how your chain of command saw you. Mm-hmm. And you'd put in for, oh, I want to go here, I want to go there, you know. And they would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely send them. Or they'd be like, oh, no, 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 this one, yeah, send them here, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of thing. So I got really blessed. I got sent. Because uh, you can tell I have that personality. You know, mm-hmm. I really do care about people. Um, and I really am uh, – I'm a strong leader, you know, um, so it just was natural for them to let me get my first pick, which was Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> Hawaii. And everybody was like, how did you get Hawaii? Because everybody put Hawaii, you know, yeah. then I got Hawaii. And I ended up working with a transportation unit for my initial training uh, to, to, to be out there as a leader, to be out there as a lieutenant. And I was very blessed. But I tell you what, I was 19 years old mm-hmm. and everybody was calling me ma'am. Yeah, that's kind of weird, isn't yes. it? Right? <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, it was kind of weird. But what was amazing about being uh, being stationed with the transportation unit was I I was driving every truck you could imagine. I drove every military vehicle you could imagine. I got, uh, you know, I got my, um, what do you call it, driver's license. The You know how you get the military driver's license that showed all the vehicles? Yeah, you could, I still uh, have it. I have like 15 <laughs> different vehicles that I'm um, certified to drive, you know, or at least I was certified to drive at that time. I'm sure you have to re, you know, re up and everything. But to me, you know, I'm a 19 year old girl driving big old trucks. You know, I (laughs) had a couple of really cool pictures of me, you know, climbing out of a truck and it's like this little body and this giant truck, you know. Uh, But I tell you what, it, it was part of what instilled in me that I can do whatever you know mm-hmm. I can do anything yeah. tell, tell me what you need me to do show me how to do it and I can do it because yeah. that is what the military showed me you know okay. and and I I walk with that now even you know I'm, I'm a certified coach you know and, and when I'm coaching people I'm like listen you got to make up your mind you know because I can't do it for you you have to decide to do it and when you decide you can do it then you do it you know mm-hmm. so that's a lot of, of what I learned from my ROTC from my military time you know because like I said 
said, I'm a 19-year-old girl, you know, because, you know, you go on with this mindset. And in fact, some of my friends used to tease me. They're like, girl, you always had the designer purses and the nice clothes and the this and the this. And I couldn't, right? (laughs) I I couldn't imagine you putting on a uniform and wearing the same outfit every day, you know, this kind of thing and and being limited to a rucksack and, you know, this kind of stuff, you know. Uh, But like I said, it it really had a lot to do with making me who I am today. You know, I travel so much now. Mm-hmm. We were sharing about that. You know, I, I was in Curacao doing some police training in Curacao mm-hmm. this last week and a, and a tropical storm hit the, hit the island. I had three days worth of, of clothing and stuff with me. But the thing is, no, I'm part of military. I had like seven days worth of clothing in my carry on, you know, so I really had enough to survive the extension that was an unexpected extension. But what we learn in the military is that you have to expect the unexpected. You know, you have to prepare for all contingencies, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in my mind, going to an island in the middle of the Caribbean, I didn't think tropical storm. I didn't think possible cyclone or hurricane. I didn't think that, you know. I was like, I'm three days in, in and out training police I'm out you know and I ended up extending it but now I look back and I reflect on it I was like that's totally my military training Mm -hmm. you know why I was able to have really adjust and adapt you know like Mm -hmm. (laughs) overcome so quickly it's because of what I learned from my military service yeah let's talk about uh you know you separate from the reserves you do eight years and then you carry on your your police service so just uh, kind of talk about how, like, did you think of staying in the reserves longer or were you just like, I'm just going to do my eight years and then I'm just going to go? Well, eight years was more than I needed to do, actually. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I, yeah, I did my eight years and then I just focused more on uh, policing. You know, okay. coming in and being part of the uh, Metro. Not that I wasn't during that, but, yeah, I just turned my focus to doing the local police versus being the MP in the reserve. Yeah. Okay. And then at any point, did you think about going back in? Were you like, oh, I'm going to go back in? or gonna... That's funny. I did I did consider at one point. It was brief. It was real quick. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I really did and still do love the, um, the feeling of the base. Mm-hmm. I just call it the feeling of the base, you know, yeah. of, of being, uh, being on base, seeing everybody in uniform, of course, getting them salutes because I was an officer, you know. Right. Yep. I mean, the respect that is built in in the military because when you're in civilian life, it's not the same. You know, I work for a police department that's quasi-military, which means, you know, it, it fashions itself behind the military mm-hmm. with chain of command and things such as that. But when it comes to being like the military and in, you know, how people are supposed to respond to you and things such as that in the ranks, that it wasn't like that in the, in the police department. Okay. And then like an, another thing as well I wanted to ask was with your civilian police service, right? Do you feel like your military service helped you with your civilian service? Like, do you feel like it made you better at that job or... Most definitely. Yes, most definitely. When I was in um, one of the jobs that I had in between graduating, actually, I had it before graduating and then before I came up, got on the police department, was I was working as a store detective. And what a store detective is, is it's the plainclothes person, not the guy sitting at the door with the uniform where you know that's where security is. So keep your eye on him while I go do bad things, right? Uh, I was the one who would literally walk right next to you, you know, and as you can see, I'm a female. Nobody's thinking this female's watching them, you know, this female's paying attention, you know. And I just, you know, go around the store and look for my bad guys. And I caught, I always caught the bad guys because I always looked, I didn't look at 
at the race. I didn't look at the gender. I looked at the actions. I looked mm-hmm. at what they were doing when they came in the store. What did they do? You know, normal people come in the store and, and they have a shopping mode. There's a way that you shop, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have people who are criminals that come in the store mm-hmm. and they have a shopping mode too, but it's more of where's the security guard? Where's the people on the cashier? Are they paying attention? You know, do I see any people stacking shelves? You know, that kind of stuff. They're looking for someone who might see them do their deed, you know, do whatever they're planning on doing. So I would boom, catch them right when they came in the door, pick them up. They never looked at me or noticed me, you know, because I'm one of those people who you wouldn't think, you know, this is back in in like uh, 80s, you know, in the late 80s. No one's thinking that there's a female that's going to come get you, you know, for doing something wrong. And sure enough, so I would have a rest all the time. And I did these great reports, which I learned how to do in the military, right? Okay, you know, learned how to write yep. these great police reports, right? And I would give them to my uh, police officer that would come to get my bad guy, my suspect. And uh, one in particular, his name was Clark Paris. Love you, Clark. I have, make sure you listen to this replay. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came in and he kept saying, did you ever think about getting uh, joining the police department? And the thing was, even though I had a criminal justice degree, I didn't think about joining the police department. I wanted to join a federal agency. I wanted to be DEA. You know, I wanted to be like a fed, you know. So when he said that, I just kind of looked down my nose at him and I was like, oh, no, you know. And he was like, well, you know, you do really good reports. You make some really good arrests here. You know, I think you should think about it. And I was like, yeah, okay, thanks, you know. So two or three times he said it, you know, good reports. I'm making felony arrests, you know, this kind of stuff. And then he came and he said... Or no, he came with a packet because this is back in the day, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he came with this 20-page packet to apply for the police department. I just kind of looked and I was like, okay, you're really persistent, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the first thing I saw on the top of it was $29,000. Now, this was 1988. Mm-hmm. $29,000. A year? A year. How much you go? Okay. At the beginning, right? (laughs) At the beginning as a rookie while you're in training Mm -hmm. because it increased as you finished, you know, steps, you know. And I said, let me take a look, right? Needless to say, I filled out the packet because, of course, I'm retired now, you know. So mm-hmm. <laughs> so I went through, filled out the packet. Part of uh, part of the bringing you on the department was, you know, of course, they did your background. You know, you got points for being in the military. You know, you got points for um, – I'm trying to remember, uh, degree, Mm -hmm. you know, so uh, at the end of all the things you got points for, I was like in the top 10, you know, (laughs) when I applied, you know, Uh, and needless to say, I I have a great passion for policing. Mm -hmm. You know, the reason why I wanted to go federal was because I had mentioned to you offline that I was a corporate brat. So my dad used to move us every two to three years and I just was used to that. So I said, oh, if I go fed and they move me, you know, every two to three years, that'll be great. Right. So making that decision to stay with the local police department meant I'm planning on staying in Vegas, you know. Mm -hmm. So it was a huge decision for me to make that decision to stay in Vegas. But I had really grown to love Vegas. I still love Vegas, you know. I still work with the police department. Even before I came here today, I told you I had to go by the police department for a ceremony before I came here. You know, so I'm still great supporter. And like I said, I do agree with you. My, My training in the military helped me with my training on the police department. Uh, command presence was one of the things that was top of the list. You had to be able to, you know, cause I keep, you guys don't see me, you know, but I'm five foot four, you know, I'm a five foot four female, you know, but I step out of that car and open my mouth and people were doing what I said to do. 
And that's called command presence. And that's something that I learned from the military. I want to get into what I thought at least was a, a very important segment because I'll tell you what, like, uh, I've had definitely several downers in, in my life, that's for sure. I, rem- I remember I've had, uh, there's been, I want to say, two times in which, like, suicide crossed my mind. I don't want to say, like, I, cre- I created a plan or anything like that, but uh, it was in college. I was really down on, like, money and stuff. So, of course, money was an issue. Um, but luckily, you know, I had the strength to just ask my friends, can I just borrow some money from you? And that's what I did, and I paid them back. And then the second time was a deployment, a deployment to Qatar, which was – that was a rough one. And I know on my on my previous podcast episodes I talked about this deployment. And uh, that was – yeah, that was a tough time. But um, luckily I found some activities that made me feel better, and obviously I, I started serving at the uh, chapel. So – you know, that helped. And then obviously I went to England and I was having some tough times as well. So then I started talking to a chaplain, which really, really helped. So a lot of people, you know, who haven't served and whatnot, they probably don't know that suicide is a massive issue in in the military. So um, obviously with yourself being a, a a chaplain, just kind of like talk about that and just talk about like how you know, what things you see and whatnot and just kind of like how you how you came into being into that chaplain service. Yes. So, yeah, I'm an ordained minister. Uh, those of you who are listening to this that are military members, you, of course, know what a chaplain is and who a chaplain is. N- not necessarily everyone who's listening in will know. So a chaplain is a spiritual caregiver for whatever community they serve. You know, I I serve both the police and veterans because it is my background and I have experience and understand what folks are going through. And I, I love being a chaplain and why I chose being a chaplain was because I had my dark days. You know, I had my dark days too. You know, I never considered taking my own life because I feel that that's so precious that God gave that to me. I need to work Mm -hmm. through this, you know, to figure this out. But I've had some dark, sad days where I was really disappointed. You know, I was like, why, you know, this world's supposed to be happier or better Mm -hmm. or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it disappoints us. It, it discourages us. It, you know, it, it it makes us dark. And um, when we're dark and we're low, a lot of times, like I was sharing with you offline before, and I know it's done in the military and it's done in the police department. Mm-hmm. Somebody says, you know, hey, you know, such and such, you know, this is that. Oh, hey, dude, let's go buy it. Let's go get a beer. Let's go to the bar. Let's go have a beer, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's like the worst thing to do because – Alcohol is a depressant, you know, you're already depressed, you know. Um, So that let's go to the bar, have a beer is is because, as I was sharing with you, we weren't taught, you know, we weren't taught how to care for one another. Mm-hmm. You know, we heard about our battle buddies, you know, how you, you know, you got to keep track of your buddy, you know, make check on your buddy, you know, this kind of thing. And the check on your buddy was just kind of, hey, dude, you're OK. Yeah, you're OK. Good. You know, and and you we ourselves even would look and go, OK, he ain't looking good, but he said he was good. So I'm going to leave that because I don't know how to deal with it. You mm-hmm. know, this, I think, is a tragedy within um our community, you know, mm-hmm. the veteran and both the police community, because we're, we are, 
see, how would you say it? We we are saviors. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the hero complex. You know, we have the, you know, I'm changing the world. You know, what I do makes a difference. You know, this kind of thing. So when reality starts to seep in that it that people don't love you as much as you thought, and this is kind of on the police side because right now a police our police officers are going through a lot of, you know, negative, you know, stuff, you know. And then some of our military members too, you know. When you're in the military, you're appreciated. And then when you separate, you know, you might not necessarily be so appreciated. You're in the military, that's okay, get a job. You know, it's like, you know, a little lack of appreciation. So when that happens, when you have such a heart of service, you know, that, oh, I just, you know, I want to do, and, you know, that's why I joined the military, you know, and I, you know, I went up the ranks, I did all the stuff I was supposed to do, blah, 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 you know, and now I'm not being appreciated, or maybe even in the midst, you're not being appreciated, Mm -hmm. you know, because oftentimes we get, um, I tell them we get 365, okay? So, or 360. So 360 is you're dealing with issues from your from your family. So um, for those of you who are listening, I'm doing a symbol of people alongside you, okay? So you're dealing with issues from your family and from your peers, okay? And and we know it could be anything. Ribbing, you know, just fun. people think it's good fun, you know, but in the end, it really hurts your feelings, you know, and you're dealing with that. And they don't know that because you just laugh it off or, oh, yeah, you guys are funny, you know, whatever. But right. it hurts your feelings, you know. So now that's pounding up, compiling, right? And and a lot of what all of us are dealing with, especially, oh, my gosh, especially with what just happened in the last two months with all of these mass shootings. Mm-hmm. All right. Unexpected. You know, so so it's messing with your mind, you know, especially, you know, military members, you know, the people that, you know, like like us, like I've been in 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 bear, you know, bear in mind it was simulated combat. But I remember being awakened by what was supposed to be mortars, you know, and being told I had to to get up and I had to run and, it, you know, and I know some of, you know, other people have actually experienced that, you know. So you have your Fourth of July that's got people jumping up crazy with this all this stuff, you know, then you have these mass shootings that are that are happening for no reason. And and it's this compound trauma mm-hmm. that is that is that that the TV's bringing to us, that the news is bringing to us, that you can't unsee. That's bringing back those memories, you know, of of just those dark days, you know. And it just makes me crazy. Mm. Yet it's making my folks crazy too, because. People know I'm a chaplain. I serve the community here, the veteran community, and I have gotten more than one phone call about this. I've gotten many texts about how this is really messing with them. You know, can I make some suggestions? What should they do? You know, these kind of things. I'm always there for them to talk to me. You know, I can be text. You know, I can be, um, uh, what is it, on the Facebook where you call people. I, mm-hmm. You know, you can do that. You know, uh, for those of you who are listening, I'm Chaplain Dow. Make sure you spell it right, Chaplain, because if you spell it wrong, <laughs> you won't get me. You know, but yeah, I'm on Facebook and and, and I'm available to, to do counselings and talk through this. But what normally happens happens is people don't seek help because we're helpers so we're the helpers so why would we seek help you know but it's so important mental health is so important to me it's it's my current passion right now yep. you know um that wholeness realizing as i described to you i had a lot of dark days you know those dark days could have took me out but I had to focus on the positive. I had to focus on the good. I had to focus on the fact that uh, you made a perfect example here, that a lot of times we want to go for a permanent solution mm-hmm. to a temporary problem. Yep. When you said the thing about the money 
and what did you do? You borrowed. Yeah. You know, we, so this is the thing. We, we, when you're so dark and you're so down, you think there's no way out. There's mm-hmm. nothing that you can do. And you don't want to pick up the phone. You know, you don't want to, you know, whether it's the stigma of what might happen within your unit if you say it or the stigma of how your friends might feel if you say that, you know, yes, I want to take my life and I have made a plan for it. You know, I'm going to the desert. You know, I mean, this this is so important to me. um, And I encourage your listeners, don't let it happen again. And the reason I'm saying this is when you look at your buddy, you know, your buddy's doing something that is not normal. You know, you got your buddy calling you up and saying, hey, I want to I want to give you my boots. You know, you remember them boots that you liked from hiking that we used to go hiking? I just want to give you my boots. And you're like, dude, why are you trying to give me my boots? I, I just want to give them to you. You know, I don't want to let you know I appreciate you, this kind of thing. OK, that's closing. That's that's closing. You know, he that person is is basically telling you I'm just getting stuff right before I do something. You know what I'm saying? So that would be a time, okay, yeah, um, okay, I got the boots and, and you gave me your skis or whatever, you know, whatever. Something something you know is important to them and it's something that links you to and he, they want to give it to you. That's close to their closing, meaning that's their, their plan and their final act, you know? So that's when you, hey, listen, man, are you okay? And don't be afraid to ask this question. Are you going to kill yourself? Are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you, don't use, say it, kill yourself. Okay, because people go, well, if I say it, then I put it in their mind. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. No, you don't. Because if it was already in their mind, it's there. And if it wasn't, are you crazy? You is. No, you know, blah, blah. And y'all can still talk. You know what I'm saying? Where you can talk to them about, you know, yeah, you tell them the tell them good stuff in their life. Think about the good stuff in their life. Make them focus on the good things in their life, because that's what brings people back. You know, that's what brings people back. You know, I had a friend that told me she was on her way. She had a gun in her mouth. She was taking her life. She was crying out. She was crying. She's crying out the guy. She's crying. She's like, I'm worthless, this, 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 and this. She was ready for her last act, right? She had that gun in her mouth. She had closed her, her, her sliding glass door of her house, everything, right? All of a sudden, when she had the gun in her mouth, she was getting ready to pull the trigger. Her dog jumped on her. Mm. And she was like, I left that dog in the house. How is this dog out here? She had no doggy door, nothing, right? The dog jumped on her. But the dog brought her back. That dog loves you. You know that dog loves you and see out here doing, you know what I'm saying? So, so, so we need to bring him back. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I think that's a good way to end the podcast. So, um, just want to thank you Tamia, for coming on and sharing your story. Cause I think, um, a lot of people out there will definitely find a lot of value in what you just said, particularly that last part. So, so yeah, I just just want to say thank you for coming on. Well, thank you for having me on. And like I said, I don't want to see another person, you know, end their lives by their own hands. So uh, reach out, Chaplain Dow on Facebook. Reach out. Yeah, thank you.